There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors annual sales event now on. One-off price reductions and special APR finance available during this event. Call in today and save thousands at Blackstone Motors, Drada and Dundalk. You're very welcome to Thursday afternoon's Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Yesterday up in the office, uh, Louise uh, brought my attention to a picture that had been posted by the Homeless Street Cafe of a little boy in Dublin, eating his dinner off cardboard, sitting on the street. And if you've picked up a newspaper today, well, I have the uh, Irish Daily Mirror in front of me here. There it is. That picture's reproduced on the front page. And the headline says, The picture that shames government as homeless Sam, five, five years of age, eats off cardboard in the street. And it says, This is Ireland. It's shocking. And it shocked me yesterday and shocks me even more today. But let me tell you, there are lots of people who go from the North East, Louth and Mead, to Dublin every day to help the homeless. And one of those groups are Atboy people who share care. And one of the members is Amanda Garrity, and she joins me on the line. Good afternoon, Amanda. Hi, Jerry. Thanks for having us. Not at all. Thank you for taking my call. I take it this picture doesn't shock you? No, not one bit, I'm afraid. And it's it's... Strange that it only comes to light yesterday, or the newspapers are depicting it, because this is what we see on a weekly basis, and have been seeing for the last three years. Only it's getting worse and worse. Children as young as five and younger. Uh, younger, um, new babies, pregnant mothers, um, one-year-olds, two-year-olds, three-year-olds. Every week we are feeding um, babies and children at our soup run, and we're providing clothes for them, nappies, wipes formula, um, probably support for the parents as well, things that they need if they're living in emergency accommodation or in shelters, we try and get them whatever they need. Yeah, this is, the stark reality is there's over 4,000 children at the moment in emergency accommodation. And that's not just in Dublin, that's in Mead also. You know, we Mm. need to highlight that to people as well. You're a fantastic group. You go to Dublin every Saturday and you've been doing this for three years and you're feeding, what, around about 300 people each yeah. trip? so every week we head off at around 5.30 here from Atboy and at the moment, when we started initially, we were just bringing up, um, I was going up in the car and my own, my son, and we're bringing a couple of sliced pans of sandwiches and flasks of tea and some buns and cakes that we made ourselves at home. But it just escalated. We... One of our group members, Eve Higgins, decided to buy two trolleys. So we did like start an outreach to help the really vulnerable people that actually can't get to us. And then it just 
sort of escalated from there. We set up a small table outside Starbucks in um, outside the Hapney Bridge there. And yeah. one night we were there and we had very little food after half an hour because we were only starting up. We met this wonderful lady called Bernadette Fagan from Lucan who had been doing this for the last 10 years. And with her help and support, she kind of advised us, you know, and helped us to make the group grow bigger and to help more. Because we were kind of going home every night through the Phoenix Park every Saturday night, kind of depleted, really, because we weren't able to do enough. So with her guidance and direction, we just became bigger. And now the fact is that we're feeding over 300 people hot food every Saturday night. We're providing clothes for men, women and children and shoes. Toiletries for same and underwear, obviously, which has to be new and... Now it's, we've sort of branched out. We're also helping all the families in Mead and Luke and, and Westmead. So if someone is in emergency accommodation and they're lucky enough to get what we call their forever home, we're helping them get furniture and bed linen and crockery and everything that they may need. We're actually, this week now, we've another family and we've secured everything for them. So it's not just about going to Dublin. We're trying to I suppose, help everyone that's yeah. in need at the moment. No, you're a fantastic group and there are 26 of you involved now. Yeah. Look, you know you meet these people and I suppose you get to know some of them. They know you for sure because they know when you're there and they stop yeah, by yeah, for assistance. Yeah. Do you ever inquire as to their circumstances or oh, why yeah, they're there? Um, especially when you're doing it so long as we are. So we've all got a, not, a lot of the people that have come to us are with us for the third year, but just to like point out, we're only one of many groups that are doing this mm. kind of work. You know, there's brilliant women out there like Glenda Harrington and Friends Helping Friends and Irene Cody Murphy. You know, these are the same type of people as us who are running these groups every week, providing the same service. And they're all uh, non-profit organisations. Another fantastic group is PATH from Port Leash. They, they make the whole journey up from Port Leash every week to do what we do. So, like, if they're not coming to us, they're coming to these people on a different night. So, yes. yeah, everyone knows these people. And, like, it's not... It, what we've come across in the last six months is it's not just... Um, families who are in emergency accommodation or in a hostel situation, we're coming across families who actually have homes who are coming to us. Whereas when they, by the time they pay their mortgage and their childcare costs and run their cars and they have no disposable income, they're actually depending on Suprons in Dublin to provide uh, dinner for them and their children, which is just terrible, you know? Yeah, so that's another aspect to it. Yeah, uh, what people uh, forget, like, there's yeah. an awful lot of silent homeless. And in our own area here in Asboy and Trim and the Cal area, we would be, I suppose, servicing people in, in those distressed areas. You know, that the not it's not always the people in social housing or the needy. Like sometimes they're better off than the ones that have, you know, overpriced mortgages and expenses in the month. So they're the type of people that we help out also try and get on their feet. I mean, we have a fantastic Vincent Paul here in Asboy run by Francis and Jerry Walsh, and I mean they're a great help to us too, and it's great to liaise with them if if someone needs something, you know. It's shameful, isn't it, though, that a little child like this and many more, as you say, younger. No, that's that's absolutely nothing. That's just one depiction. This is every single night of the week. You know, you're handing out gloves and hats and scarves every week. Like um, we do the run on the Saturday night, but we would spend every night of of the week sorting out like. Um, parcels of stuff for different families and people so like we would constantly on Facebook have appeals up for clothing for different age groups of children or 
um, basic necessities that they need. I suppose people are nearly fed up of us at this stage, but you just can't stop doing it, you know. And we're only one group in Mead. There's a fantastic facility run by Ashley Lowentrin, yeah. which is hard to believe there's a Mead food bank. And she is delivering food to families all over Mead on a daily basis. And we also have a baby bank as well, Emily's Baby Bank, run by a lady called Emily Lacken in Trim. And she's helping families out with nappies and wipes and baby goods that they need. So it's just it's just hard to believe. Like in one small county, you know, people are doing so much. Yeah, so you're saying to me that there is a silence about this. This is not coming really to the fore, what you're talking to me about now, that people have actually no money to put food on the table after yep. they try and meet the pressured commitments they have for rent or mortgage or whatever. I know. It's hard to believe. Like, so if you have, you know, the average income, they're saying, is €2,000 per person in households. That's four. And we've met people whose mortgages are 2000 a month. They also have car payments to try and get to work. They're paying um, their crash fees and all the other living expenses like light and heat and food. But there, we had one couple who came to us and they said that they wouldn't turn the lights on in the evening. They'd have so they could turn the oven on. Like, how bad is that, you know? Like, obviously, they're they're complete homeless people as well, you know, but mm. what we're finding really evident in the last six months is um, homeowners that are coming to us. And and, and, and we are and we're, we're obviously... Yeah, in a state of mind and thinking that, you know, this was a a factor of the recession and the recession is yeah. long gone and Ireland is booming and everybody's working and all is hunky-dory. Not so, Amanda. No, not at all. And if you look at the statistics, um, they're saying there's over 4,000 children. That was 3,000 last year. So people are still losing their homes. You know, some, um, some of the rents, obviously, with um, people are selling properties now for Airbnbs and to get to achieve higher rental incomes. So a lot of people being made homeless due to, due to a financial crisis. Also, it's not just about people um, who are um, suffering from addiction or depression. I mean, I wouldn't blame these people if they did, because I know if I was staying in the hostel and I had to leave at 7.30 in the morning, and walk the streets all day in the cold or the wind or the rain or be hungry and not being able to go back into that facility till 10 o'clock at night, I, I too, I think, would turn to some form of addiction because it would be just heart-wrenching. So this is, as the headline says, Ireland 2019, the reality. If you people consider this, and you're one, as you say, and you're, you're very gracious in mentioning everybody else, and we do understand there are many other groups involved in individuals. If you weren't doing what you're doing, can you imagine... Oh, what just, what those people be, would be facing? Well, I would think that in Dublin it would be uh, probably a repeat of Strumpet City and nothing else. It would have to be your famine times because if you know if you haven't been in the city at night, you know, in the last year, it would be worth your while just getting a bus or driving up to town and having a look at the queues of people, not just at our soup run, at other ones. It's just it's just hard to believe. It's like famine times, and that's. You know, we're doing what we can do. We can only do so much and we're we're depending on the support of the public because we're a non-profit organisation. So we're constantly out there begging to try and get stuff, to try and keep the whole operation going, as are all the other groups. So, you know, the way it is with us is we look, we're not interested in um, achieving status or anything because our ethos is we give what we get, we give out there. We don't want to be running any fancy offices or anyone getting a salary. Yeah. So it's basically on a weekly basis we're making the phone calls, we're asked, begging people 
basically to give us stuff. And just on that note, Jerry, can I just thank a few people because without yep. their help, you know, this wouldn't be possible. Um, a Vulcan Dunboyne who supplies with cakes and buns and pastries and bread and stuff like that. Starbucks in Stevens Green and in Chatham Street who supplies with tea, coffee and sugar. Finnegan's Farm Foods in Kentstown for their fabulous baked potatoes and mash. Um, McCormick's Farms in Kiltail who every Christmas run um, a collection for us for our Christmas hampers. And we're very lucky now to get Eamon in Dunshockland from Farmhouse Foods who's come on board with us as well. So without all these people, we wouldn't be able to sustain this. And then the likes of Liz Coburn in the Lawrence Hotel in Athboy. She provides a roof box for a car to bring more um, um, supplies. And Gary Woods from DGSL Builders in Dean Hill and Navin. He supplied a trailer for us. And just people like that in general who are really good. And just can I just mention another um, couple as well? There's a gentleman by the name of Martin Gohan and his wife, and they're absolutely fantastic people. They live in Contail and they run another group that actually helps our group out and it's um, me helping the homeless. So they used to do a super on themselves, but due to bad health, they're not able to anymore. But they're working tirelessly behind the scenes for us as well. So just, yeah. it's an opportunity to thank mm. these people because without these people, we wouldn't be able to absolutely absolutely look thank you for joining me today and we're delighted to acknowledge all those people and more besides keep up the great work because without you as I said God knows what would happen thank you for joining me Amanda on the show today Okay. take care of yourself bye 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 that's Amanda Geraghty there from Athboy people who share care it's shameful and I didn't want to even touch on the political aspect of this I just don't want to because It's beyond talking about. It really is. And the government can go to your doors soon enough. It'll be early next year, I'm sure, before the summer. And this is a monster issue that just nobody seems to be able to get a handle on. But if they don't, votes are required. Remember, boys and girls, to return to your comfortable positions in Leinster House. Yes, we've had several people inquiring how they can help Athboy people who share care. You can go onto Facebook and check out their Facebook page and all the details are there. Now, I jumped for joy at the weekend reading the Sunday Times. I got back into me short pants and I just imagined what it would have been like had I no homework when I was at school. Oh, what a joy. Valerie Flynn is a brilliant Sunday Times journalist and she's written a wonderful article about the ending of homework or is it the end? She's on the line. Valerie, good afternoon. Hi, how's it going? Thank you for joining me on the show. Question, and everybody wants to know, should children start celebrating? Is it the beginning of the end for homework in primary school? Well, it, it might be. Um, so I spoke to three primary schools at the weekend that have decided to get rid of written homework. So three have made that commitment already. And does that mean, Valerie, none, nothing to be done when they go home after school? No, it doesn't. So the three are taking a similar approach. Um, They've all decided to continue with um, projects. Uh, So, you know, it's interesting, those projects might be kind of unfamiliar to to my generation and your generation. And they wouldn't be just sticking pieces of paper to to cardboard anymore. Um, Children are being encouraged to make podcasts and make videos. And um, a couple of the schools are also going to continue with the focus on oral homework. So your times tables and your spellings, but no more workbook exercises, no more doing five more of the sums that you were doing all day in class. 
Oh, I wish I could go back to the future when you say that to me. I can still uh, remember what we had to do in those days. But, you know, you mentioned three schools and in the in the body of the article as well, you, you say a lot of school principals at primary level are coming round to this. But there's resistance and it's coming from the teachers. Yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting. It's not a new idea. Um, the Irish Primary Principals Network actually said to the, they made a submission to the Oireachtas Education Committee almost 10 years ago now saying, you know, that there isn't really any academic evidence for the benefit of homework to uh, young children. And um, there was a, a piece of research done by um, academics from two of the teacher training colleges for the National Parents Council earlier this year, which which drew the same conclusion that there's sort of a, a graded, uh, a graded effect whereby there's more evidence for effectiveness for older children, but a lot less for younger children. Um, but uh, I suppose d- despite that, you know, some teachers feel, look, this is the way it's always been done. And their, you know, homework provides them with a way of bringing the, the schoolwork back to the parents. So they can see what the children are working on. And it kind of provides structure and order if you do it in that traditional written format, whether that's, you know, workbook exercises or writing a little essay or whatever. Yes, so parents, there's a, a, an unease there, we'll say, as well, and what, and how it will, will actually work. The other thing I suppose you have to think is, of is, when they move on from primary, it, it really gets heavy in secondary school with homework, and if you go further to uh, third level, it, you have to become very uh, self-disciplined and, and work a lot as well. Is this not uh, really tearing the foundations away? Yeah, I, I discussed that with the, the principals of three schools. So one of the schools, um, Loretta Grange Road in Ratfarnham in South Dublin, and the principal there, Sister Maria, has decided to continue with homework for six class students for exactly the reason that you give that it's preparing them for, for secondary school. Um, now, um, interestingly, another principal, the principal of Carlow Educate Together, they, they've been at this policy now for three years. And he's so he's had a chance to get feedback from parents whose children have gone on to secondary school and what he has heard back from them is that this project-based approach that he's um, promoting has has been beneficial because under the new junior search, because the junior cycle has been massively reformed in the last few years, apparently a lot of the work that kids do in secondary school is project-based. So he thinks that, you know, having kind of a project-based approach at primary level to homework, um, you know, longer-term projects rather than exercises every single night to be brought into school the next day is actually beneficial for secondary level. Interesting, interesting. What's your own personal feelings? Um, well, I kind of went into this with an open mind. Um, I, my daughter is not yet of uh, primary school age, so who knows, maybe by the time she is now, she's 18 months, maybe homework will be a thing of the past. <laughs> Would you welcome that? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, I can kind of see both sides of it. Like, it's funny, I was talking to a friend of mine who is a secondary school teacher, and she's very passionately in favour of, of homework. Um, she thinks, not not even for the educational purpose, but because she thinks, you know, it, it gives parents a chance to sit down with their kids and really kind of focus on their day and gives them a chance to show off their new knowledge and be proud of their achievements. And I mean, that sounds idyllic, sitting down with your kids, having quality time talking about their day. But at the same time, you know, uh, I can see the arguments against it as well. And I, I do think that you know, education policy should be research-based. If there isn't any research to show this is benefiting young kids, and there's lots of research to show that kids playing outside and just spending quality time with, you know, playing, cycling their bikes or getting exercise, there's lots of, we know that that's good for kids. And if homework is preventing children from doing that, maybe that's what we should be encouraging them to do instead. And that, that was what one of the schools, Loretta Grange Road, said. They said to parents, you know, we're not going to be setting so much homework anymore, but make sure your kids are playing outside or spending quality time with their family instead.
So watch this space is the message you're really sending today, that there is change afoot. There's arguments for and against on both sides. Yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, yeah, as you alluded to, like some teachers are against this, but the, sc- the schools, now the two Dublin schools, they've just brought it in this term. So we don't know how it's going to go. And th- those schools are going to um, talk to parents at their parent teacher meetings later this term and then, you know, review the policy on that basis. So it'll be really interesting to see what they decide to do at that point. Um, one of those schools, um, school were in, um, in Marino in Dublin, they, they, what they are prom- promoting as their homework policy now is a guided reading program where they want the, the parents and the kids to read together in the evening and then, you know, the kids are reading a novel and then the kids will talk to the parents and the parents have been given these sheets to kind of show them how to structure that discussion, you know, and help the children to analyse the texts and, um, you know, compare them with other books they've read. It's trying to give children critical thinking skills. And, you know, that, that sounds really wonderful. And I, I think that's something that, you know, a lot of people working in education would really like to promote. So maybe that will be the future, um, you know, encouraging more, more reading and more critical thinking as opposed to maybe a bit more rote learning and more... Uh, exercises. Yeah, interesting indeed. It, it got me thinking as well and uh, it's one to uh, I suppose generate a lot of debate on, on both sides but watch this space but certainly when you I, I see what you've been writing about in recent weeks as well you know with the uh, history on the curriculum and the changes etc uh, that are going on. There's, it's an interesting time for sure in education. Valerie thank you for joining me on the show this afternoon. Thank you. Thanks very much. That's Valerie Flynn there, Sunday Times journalist. What about the homework uh, conundrum? What do you think? Have you views on it? Would you like to see homework drop completely in primary school? Is it a necessary evil? I'm sure all the children, if they text in, it'll be unanimous to let it go. Louise, what about from your own perspective with your own children? What do you think? Uh, I think the jury's out, Jerry. I don't think they should get three or four hours homework. Definitely not. Too much. I don't think they should get none either. Yes. Because I would like to see, I mean, you only have a parent-teacher meeting once a year. Yeah. So I would like to see how they're getting on. Yeah, you know, I can, you know? I, was, I was thinking back to when I did it as well. I generally got lines. Did you ever get lines? I must behave in class from now no, on. Never. Write it out a hundred times. Did never, you never, never get lines? Never. No. Oh, jeepers. <laughs> I'll tell you one thing. The amount of times we got lines in class to write as punishment for the messing that went on at times uh, oh, I'll never forget it but we got quite I suppose in primary school you get a bit and you work at it but for smaller children really is it necessary to <laughs> snow them under with work at home no but do do are they snowed under like no. I see my kids coming home and you know they're not they're not really snowed under yeah okay so you're you're happy enough with it. would you leave it as it is if you had a call no I wouldn't leave it as it is because some I'd, I'd kind of change it around and make sure you know like Instead of reading, read the, read a book they like or do some coding or just bring in practical side of things. Yeah. Make yeah. them go to the shop yeah. with a list and buy stuff and bring home change or something yes, like that. practical skills. Well, Valerie touched on that there for sure. Uh, she, she mentioned it. Uh, we're getting quite a bit of reaction to our, our first feature today with Amanda Garrity from At Boy People Who Share. Uh, Joe's been on to say, Jerry, there are so many houses vacant in the town I live in. That's Drogheda. And only for that lady and people in the likes of the towns of Drogheda, Dundalk and Navinat Boy are talking to you there. 
Only for these people, Joe says. So many people would die. It's a shame on the government. Uh, That's uh, one of the messages coming to us. There's more besides. I'll come back to them, I promise you, later on in the show. But stay with us on Late Lunch. After news and weather at two, we're going to talk business. And the man in the spotlight today is Nigel Woods from Amstro. It's time to talk business on Late Lunch, month of October, a regular feature on the show. And I'm joined today by Robert Murray, who's the Vice President of Drogheda Chamber. Brendan Casey is back from the mill. And the man in the spotlight today is Nigel Woods from Amstro. Gentlemen, you're all very welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me. Nigel, uh, welcome to Late Lunch. Great to see you. And maybe you tell listeners a little bit about you, your background in business. Yeah, uh, thank you, Jerry. So um, I, I'm a I'm a true local. So grew up in Piltown, just outside of Drada. Uh, went to school in Drada in St Mary's. Uh, from there, went to college in Dundalk. Did a accountancy degree up there, and from there uh, moved to Dublin. So well, straight after Dundalk, I, I started my working life in Drada in a small accountancy practice, uh, and from there moved to Dublin where I entered into the financial services industry, uh, the reinsurance market. Uh, from there, qualified as an accountant, uh, moved to an international bank into the finance department, qualified there as a tax advisor, and then wanted something different outside the big corporate. So uh, there was a US bank setting up a trust company in Dublin, and uh, they asked me to go there and help set it up. I stayed there, set it up for three years, and from there, another Channel Islands law firm trust company uh, advertised to set up um, their operation in Dublin and from there I moved across set everything up from scratch um, myself and another guy I grew the team to 14 people and was country manager there for 11 years And you've commuted I take it from what you're telling me Dublin has been your base Yeah so I did spend three years living up in Dublin but uh, the majority you know I started on the diesel trains uh, 20 <laughs> years ago Oh don't even go there Yeah <laughs> uh, uh, there wasn't. There was no heat and no Wi-Fi, no nothing. So uh, you look at a seat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so so I've seen the, even the, the 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 trains improving a lot. You know over the years. But, yes. You know the whole commute up up and down to Dublin. Um, in this day and age, was it's starting to take its its toll. Yeah. So you you're back now, uh, back to your roots in the mill, and you're set up there with this new business called Amstro. Was it just sort of a natural ending for you in your last job? And as you say, at a time in life where you're looking at, you know, something new, and did you want to really go on your own? Yeah, but well that's it was always the always the plan over the years. Um, but you can never quite figure it out mm. how to do it. You know, you know how to get started, what kind of people. So it's been on my mind for the last couple of years. And then you know, obviously talking to a few different people, they said, "Look, you're at the right age to go and go and try this something new." We had the contacts, we knew the business inside out, we had the expertise. So in our industry, it is a people business. Uh, you know, so we're not selling products, we're selling a service. But it's more important to have good contacts, good connections, good reputation, and provide a good service. So what does Amstro do? So in a, in a nutshell, we've a couple of different business lines, but we would help international companies set up here. So our speciality is in relation to aircraft leasing companies setting up in Ireland. Um, the smaller guys, the smaller leasing companies need Irish entities to hold their aircraft um, for various double taxation treaty reasons. So, um, so 
you know, if they're based in the US and they're doing a transaction with a different country, they need an Irish entity to put the aircraft into and to be able to get somebody to manage and, okay. and service them. I didn't realise 50% of the world's aircraft are leased or managed from Ireland. Yeah, no, so it's a, it's an amazing uh, success story for Ireland, like, mm. you know, from the GPA days. And the, the amount of, you know, good quality companies in Dublin in this space is is phenomenal, like, you know. So you're muscling in on this aspect of the market as one one aspect of your business. Yeah, because, you know, we're not, we're not a big lesser or anything like that, yeah. but we help the smaller lessors set up here and they will eventually grow and grow, you know, based on the number of aircraft there is. So, okay. so we work with different, different lessors and then there's a couple of markets transactions where they need a special company set up. Um, so the bank will lend to air entity that we set up and we will go out and buy the aircraft and finance lease it to to the airlines. It's exciting, isn't it? It's It's a glamorous industry. Oh, yeah, it really is. And, <laughs> and this industry is set to grow. Yeah. I, I know the, the climate thing and, the, and the, 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 the worry about this planet that we live on. People are saying, oh, look at what's happening up in the skies. But the, the facts are, this is going to grow in the years ahead. Yeah, like, you, you, you know, you see the stats, how many aircraft's going to be required over the next 20 mm. years. You know, the, the figures thrown around is 40,000, like, you know, 165 aircraft per month being built but technology is getting better, you know, there is uh, greener engines being produced, you know, there is, of course. The, the industry is aware of this, mm. you know. So. We'll be solar flying someday, <laughs> I won't see it, but you can bet your bottom dollar there'll be something like that. Now, the interesting thing about you is, the commute is gone, is that a big relief in your life? Yeah, it's, uh, you just feel as you can be more dynamic, you know, in air industry, you were working till you could be stuck in the office till twelve o'clock at night because you're dealing with the U.S. market and then time zones, time zones, and then the Australian markets first thing in the morning. So you have to you have to be there in the office. Now we can be in the office. We can do a bit from home. I think the whole working environment has changed a lot over the last ten yes, years. Yes, yes. But by God, it makes mm. a difference when you don't have to clock in an hour and a half either way each day. It's another three productive hours. Yeah. You know that you, you can put into your into your new business. Mm. How many have you working for you now? So there's four full-time and four part-time as well. And you only really, you went into the mill when? September 2018, hot desk there and yeah. the rest is history. You're four full-time, four part-time and away you go. Yeah, no, that's it. It was, um, we had to work through, you know, a couple of hurdles, get our, get our trust, trust company license. We got that in November. We had to get the website set up so we're working closely with, you know, Nebula based in the mill. That took three months. Uh, we had a checklist of things that we needed to do. The checklist was 700 points long that we needed to jump across for over three months to, you know, little things. Yeah. Little things are big things. And in January, when the website was ready to go, we were able to launch and the customers started coming in mm. in, in March, really. It's a terrific story. Mm. I congratulate you. Like, it's early doors. You're a very young business, but forgive the pun, you're flying already, you mm. know, and that, that is the reality. Brandon, I want to bring you in here because um, Nigel has just mentioned something there about uh, Nebula, who have been working on the website. I know Creva Mulroy has worked with you as well, Once Upon a Design. Do you see that thing of networking under the one roof? We see a lot of it, yeah, a lot of cost collaboration Um that's one of the main benefits of being at the mill, um, you know, and it's one of the statistics that we look at every year. You know, we do a survey of the millers and we ask, well, who have you worked with? 
and uh, it's not just working with each other sometimes it's just simple advice you know so you're not actually uh, you know collaborating it's it's literally getting a bit of advice we've monthly meetings where we bring all the millers together as well so they can lean on each other for support um, and obviously they can touch me touch touch base with me as well uh, yeah. as needed, so. so that's what you're known as now millers is it yeah it is so yes there's indeed, no yes. flower there's no windmill turning or anything like that <laughs> no, I love it like so that. that's your yeah. Uh, but look this are you, are you just well, well we're on it um, it's it's a vibrant hub and I don't have to tell you any of you guys this yeah. are you at capacity there now again because you did double your space yeah well we even when we doubled that's what two and a half years ago you know within a year we were almost all our offices were taken up so we had hot desks and we continually uh, we've about 25 hot deskers now where they literally just rent mm. a desk so at the moment uh, we've one office uh, but essentially we'd be 90% occupied the whole time you know so it's a uh, it's continued, yeah, continuous it's, success the whole time. Again, I say it's a wonderful mm. success story. Back to you, Nigel, for a moment. You have four four uh, men on your team uh, in full-time positions at the minute. Are they from similar backgrounds or circumstances? You mentioned the commute and all that, like yourself. Yeah, so we have one, one person based in London, um, you know our, our eyes and ears on the ground he's yeah. aviation experience he's you know done leasing as well so you know so we, I was talking to him for a while got him on board um, we've another local guy from Drada he's based in the office now he's business finance degree He he's helping a lot with you know the whole setup and yeah. administration and then um, my wife Ursula she's more doing more office administration okay. stuff and looking after at, at this side as well yeah um, the guy in London is key obviously to you yeah <laughs> you know because a lot of the action here happens in London can you work with him, you know, on, on a remote basis? Does he ever have to come over here, you to him, or how does that function? Yeah, no, so we have, we have daily calls. I I was just back from London, I was there this week. He'll come over maybe next week or the following week. Um, and then we go to giant conferences and clients. So we were in Berlin last week at a, a big iStack conference. Um, there's another conference coming up again in November, and then... You know, in between, we we try and uh, see as many people as you can. Yeah, and is that we are touting for new clients? Is is that the idea? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you know, our clients will come directly from small, smaller lessors abroad. The intermediary network of law firms, accountancy firms, um, they would uh, refer stuff their way, and then you know, just. Um, Speaking to private equity firms and all that, they're setting up different funds here. So. Yeah, it must have been special when you get your first gig. Yeah, yeah, no, that's his, uh Do you remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's um, you know we've been talking to talking to a few guys, so took a bit longer than we than we talked. You know, mm. we thought we would set up in January, we'd have a first uh, client on board. You know, February and all that. But this whole process takes takes a long time because you know some people were moving structures, some people were setting mm. up new structures. So it really it really took six months to get get guys across the line. But the the interest we were getting, the mandates we were quoting on. Uh, and we still a lot of things in the pipeline and we're closing a couple of trans- transactions now as well. So when you get one, obviously, you know, that's in the can and then another follows and people talk and they become aware of who you are and what you can offer and it's sort of a snowball effect. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, one of our big clients we're working with now, you know, remember getting the phone call saying, look, they want to work with you guys. And it was, it was, you know, it wasn't some somebody that we we thought was high priority on our list, but they they uh, they liked what we did, they liked the proposal we gave them, and we'd never worked with them before, but they, 
you know, they asked around a couple of uh, intermediaries who mm. all recommended us. Mm. You mentioned GPA, Guinness Peat Aviation, you're yeah. referring to there. Yeah. They were the trailblazers, weren't they, for... Yeah, and this this is, you know, a phenomenal story for Ireland, like, you know. So it's, you know, there is... Dublin is a, is a major hub, Shannon is a hub, and we're trying to develop draw as well into, into that area. Robert, come into the conversation. You're listening to what Nigel and Brendan had to say here a little earlier on. Yeah. This is a great story, another one, isn't it? Yeah, good afternoon, Jerry. Um, absolutely great story. Nigel's story is really, it's what we've been trying to work towards over the last number of months, I think, in years in Drogheda. It's about that reverse commute, like, you know, and actually you're, 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 you've, you've realised it now, which is fantastic. From the Chamber's perspective, um, we've got all types of businesses um, as members. And this is a very interesting business to be just talking about today. Like aviation is something that's not, re- OK, it's on our doorstep in, in, at the airport. But it's not something that you hear about every day setting up in Drogheda. And it's a really exciting um, move. And I wish you the best of luck with it. Um, it's great that you've chosen Drogheda. Um, it's great that there's um, that you've got a great base and a start of, of a, a great employer employment. Um, like you have 12 people um, on the books, I think, now at the moment, four and four. And, and for next year, you're growing, to that, yeah. you're, gro- you're growing to that number. And also, um, the, really, the piece that I really love, Jerry, is that um, the local suppliers, like you can't be, be travelling up to Dublin and then coming back and not supporting your local supplier. So I love that. So you've got like Nebula, who's um, in, the, in the mill, as you said. Um, great bunch of guys there. And they've developed a site. You've got Kiva Mulroy, who's a fantastic, and from the branding point of view, which um, I can see it. I was checking at the website again this morning. It was fantastic. It is terrific. I want to add my congratulations on that. Yes, and also from the printers as well. Like you know, so you've got like a, like all the local suppliers as well. GNM Print Gary in there as well because I would have done some work with Gary as well. So it's really nice to see that across the board. Um, and the, uh, like you know, you you had one pun there yourself. Uh, <laughs> so I'm going to add another one in here. Um, the chambers hashtag actually, uh, believe it or not, is elevating Drogheda. <laughs> So there you go. <laughs> yes, and you are flying high and it ties in, of course, with what you were telling us a little bit earlier on. Brendan, in, you see an opportunity uh, in this sector. We do, uh, Jerry. Like Nigel mentioned, you know, Shannon and Dublin has been strong footholds for the aviation sector. You know, under financial services, 50% of uh, leasing companies based through Ireland. But about a year ago, we put together about 12 different people either working locally or commuting up to Dublin in the aviation sector. And we looked at some areas, you know, whether it was engineering, whether it was maintenance. And the two areas that came back were on the financial services side and on the sort of IT technology digital services side. And they're the two areas that we're going to target. So we've just received funding from Enterprise Ireland to conduct a feasibility study on, you know, what's our skill sets, you know. So we have the accountants living here. Uh, you know, they can offer the shared service to financial services. We have the IT skills. We have companies like uh, BSI, like Armac Systems already here. We have a few aviation companies based here. So it's time to capitalise on that, capitalise on the proximity to the airport and our international, um, I suppose, the, the benefits of having that international clientele being able to come over. So I see a massive opportunity here to develop aviation and travel tech in Drogheda and uh, I think uh, the feasibility study should uh, be the first step yeah, on that. wish you well with that. And, and those are the things you need to be spotting as well. And, and uh, it's Nyart Lakela, as they say, in our yeah. strength together. Um, just to come back to you, Nigel, you know, your debut, if I could say, your first year has gone so well for you. And look at it in terms of jobs as well. 
What's your feeling beyond this? How how big can you get? How more jobs are potentially in this with you guys in Amstro? Yeah, well, it's um, it's definitely a, a massive growth area that we see. Um, you know, already, you know, since since a year, we've had lots of people, you know, querying about setting up operations in Ireland. Not not even on the aviation sector. So we're we're talking to some electronics companies that want to set up here, want to move to European operations to Ireland. So. Ireland is is really has a major opportunity to do this. A lot of those companies then will want employees, you know, so we can, you know, get them to set up, you know, an operation here in Ireland, in Drogheda. Then, you know, the employees will we, either second employees to them or, you know, they'll get their own employees. But it's um, it's definitely a, a massive uh, opportunity. Mm, huge opportunity. Uh, by the way, congratulations, folks, on, on the bid success. Last day you were here, we were talking about it, yes. and there'll be a, a manager appointed in mm. the not too distant future. Will that be early next year? What are you expecting there? Yeah, so there was a 78% approval rate, which was great to see the local businesses get behind it. We'd expect to have a new manager. It'll probably be you know January, February yeah. before we actually appoint yeah, of somebody. Course, so, of course, but, but that's under, yeah. un, underway as well. It actually has to be formally approved by Loud County Council <laughs> next Monday as well, so... <laughs> that should be a formality. <laughs> yes. If it isn't, it would be a major surprise, let me say. Robert, the business awards are are on the horizon coming soon. Yes, and I think um all the businesses who um entered for the uh, uh entered into a category need to be looking at their inboxes this afternoon because um the shortlist is coming out. So that's a bit of a bit of hot news for you. Exciting days. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, tickets are on sale as well, by the way. So like, you know, the, the event is taking place in November, as you know, and uh, you can check it out on the Chamber website. Drawhoodachamber.ie. All the details are there. There you are. Open the messages. If you're getting a message from the Chamber, good news could be coming your way this afternoon. We'll finish with yourself, Nigel and Amstro. Um, from working for others to setting out on your own... <laughs> Is there a little bit of, you know, when you started, you know, you explored this late last year, here you are today, look at the progress you've made. Is there always a little worry in your mind? Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's the the biggest thing. You could be thinking about it for 10 years, but to actually go and do it. So uh, luckily I had a good uh, good help, with a good friend of mine, a mentor, uh, Connor Woods is from Woods and Partners in Kells. He'd, he'd done something similar, setting up on his own as a friend, as a as a entrepreneur, as a an accountant, I sat down and went through a couple of things with him. You know, so you need somebody like that to give you a little bit of confidence to to get you on the road. And then we knew where we what we had to do to get to where we were. And then you had to figure out where the clients going to use you or not. And that's the that's the big you're competing against the big guys. And someone else said to me, uh, you'd be very surprised how many people like the smaller guys. And that's the kind of reaction we're You getting. get the more individual attention. Exactly, yeah. And, and service. You'll be minded very well indeed. That's yeah. a, a USP, of course, that, that, that you'll, you'll always be pushing. Look, I just wanted to meet you today again to focus on a business, a local business. And congratulations to you uh, on setting up Amstro and the very best wishes to you, you in much. the months and years ahead. Thank you, Nigel, for joining me on the show. And a big thank you to Brendan Casey from The Mill and Vice President of Drogheda Chamber, Robert Murray. It's great to have you all with us on the show today. 
We want you all well this winter, tuned into LMFM Radio and listening to Late Lunch. And with that in mind, yes, we're going to do a little feature for the next while on wellness in winter with Cathy Marr from Haven Pharmacy in Dooley. Cathy, great to see you again. Thank Hi, you for Jerry, joining you? me. Let's start with the babies and the littlies first. You know, people have babies in their homes for the first time this winter, new arrivals, etc. And they're always worried, you know, at, at a very tiny age, they'll mm-hmm. catch something. What's the best way to ensure that a baby is kept at the right temperature in the house and when you go outdoors? Absolutely. We suppose, number one, it's inevitable. Babies will catch lots of little viruses, even from the age of like, certainly from their six months upwards. They will have lots of little viruses before that, but they have their mum's natural immunity to some um, viruses up until about six months. Firstly, if they're breastfed, it's going to give them a little bit of extra immunity. That's not to take away from any babies that are bottle fed, but there is though that extra um, antibodies that do exist in the mom's breast milk. But then you're down to temperature of the room. The ambient te- temperature room should be 21 degrees. I'm a cold creature. I would rather have a room up to 24 or 5, but I know that's not healthy. It's not good for anyone, and particularly not babies. Babies can overheat quite quickly, and if they overheat, they become dehydrated. So it's really important to keep them the room at about 18 to 21 degrees. And if babies are cold, you layer them up. So we look at what a baby wears between the baby grow, the little vest underneath, maybe a little t-shirt on top, and then cardigans. And then you layer up and layer down. We don't put little quilts over them. It's always like layers of blankets, the cellular blankets, the little, again, that they can layer up and layer down if they're napping. One of the best inventions for babies for bedtime are those um, sleeping bags that you see babies being strapped into. So this kind of weather, the mums would then be moving children to from a 6 or a 0.5 tog up to a 2.5 tog and they'd be strapped into that. And it's a perfect way of keeping the baby's body temperature ambient the right way through the night as well. So it's really important. If babies get viruses, it's fine. Their little bodies have to build up their own antibodies that they can get mm. viruses as they move through life. It's very, very common for young babies and infants and young children to get maybe 8 to 12 viruses in that space between September and March. And young mums, especially first-time mums, would be very frequent visitors of pharmacies. So we would spend a lot of our time reassuring them that this is perfectly normal, that they do have streaming eyes. And even at that stage, it's sometimes hard to know, is it teething? Is it a virus? Is it a runny nose? They're coughing all the time. What can I do? So even for reassurance, we'd say pop into your pharmacy and just say, what's going on? Is it okay? One of the things that we hear a lot is... God, he's just going from one virus to the next. This cold has gone on for three months and we haven't been able to shift it. What's going on? Is there something really wrong? And a first time mum will always doubt themselves and they'll say, am I missing something? But generally, if a baby's generally well, the temperature is okay, the runny nose, the eyes, dry cough, if it's there, it is just a virus that they'll pass. Because they're picking viruses up every maybe four to six weeks, it does feel, and I have three kids, it does feel sometimes that you're just knee deep in tissues and cleaning them. And that's the way it is. But be reassured that it's perfectly normal. If they're very unwell, mums do tend to know the instinct is there. If the temperature is spiking, if it's not improving with um, antipyretics or medicines to treat temperature, then we get onto it and we act really, really promptly for young children. And going out just to say if it is cold outside, just wrap them up. Just wrap them up, little earmuffs or hat, wrap them up, uh, gloves on the fingers, same as ourselves. And I really want to talk about us getting outside <laughs> this time of year. We're going to come on to that in a minute. Now, as they grow on from the baby stage, they go into their creche or play school and then on into main school itself. And I think we said that the last day, they only go back to the play school or the creche or the school. And the next thing, they're sniffling and snuffling and they catch something straight away. 
There's no way of avoiding that. It's just, it happens. It just happens. And it's all of the old-fashioned viruses that we'll talk about. So like slap cheek or hand, foot and mouth. These are all the things that we see at the minute. They can become a little bit more serious if we something like scarlet fever or more bacterial infections. But these things tend to happen from September right through into March. If you think of those environments, children are huddled together. They're all huddled together. The rooms tend to be quite warm in creches and schools and that. And then so viruses tend to breed. Sometimes children don't get out in the yards, depending on the weather as much. And then they're all in there for that length of time. So Mm. yeah, they are breeding viruses between them. One thing's really important. And we see creches and schools are really good at instilling hand hygiene with children. Um, And it's to make sure that children do wash their hands. They're educated from a very early age, that they wash their hands regularly, that they wash them properly and effectively. And something we all have to check ourselves on. And that really, if they're sneezing or sniffling, they do it into the elbow of the, the jumper or into their tissue and bin it and wash their hands afterwards. But washing the hands for everybody in life, you've mentioned this before to me, it's so important to keep the hands clean and helping in the non-spread of these viruses. It's really important. In this time of year, we've got the flus, colds, coughs, winter vomiting bug. These are all the terms that we're going to hear over the next couple of weeks and months. And then as we hear that, we'll hear trolley crisis, we'll hear all of these kind of things. And try to protect ourselves, but also protect the little ones and the older ones that we love around us. So hand washing is the mainstay, hand hygiene is the mainstay preventing these bugs transmit. When they're on the hands, they'll be on door handles, they'll be on desks, they'll be everywhere. Um, So it's really how do you wash your hands effectively? It's under warm water, using soap, antibacterial soap if you can, and then butterfly fingers is what we tell children. So it's interlocking the fingers and washing the hands for 45 seconds, washing each digit, washing the thumbs, washing the back of the hand, washing the palms and then rinsing and drying on a clean towel. And that will make a huge difference. Where do you stand on uh, giving children uh, vitamins or tonics for the winter-spring season? Yeah, ideally, none of us should need a vitamin supplement if our diet... We really should be getting every nutrient, every vitamin, every mineral that we need in our diet. I don't know anyone that does, really. Um, So there's no harm in giving children any kind of supplement. There are some supplements that I feel after they've had a cold or a gastro bug or their appetite is suppressed. There's a few things that actually really help boost the appetite. Kitty Farmington is brilliant. There's a few multivitamins that are really, really good for children. I have no difficulty. Absolutely recommend them. I have my own three on something now from the winter months. I just feel sometimes that it gives them a bit of a boost. It's not that they're deficient, but it is giving them a bit of a boost. But still, the mainstay would be, are they getting what they need in their diet? This is just a supplement. It's not to replace. So if a child isn't eating fruit or veg, you're not getting away with it by just giving them the supplement. It'd still encourage the healthy diet initially. This time of year, it's down to soups. It's down to stews. It's the winter root veg. Uh, fruit tends to be a bit of a problem this time of year, I find, with my own three. So I'd be looking to citrus fruits. That's what they're going to satsumas and clementines, maybe some apples. That's what they're looking for at the minute. But it's down to really getting the veg and the soups and the stews. And that home hearty food is what we want this time of year as well. Oh, you can't beat the goodness from the natural stuff and preparing it yourself as well and seasonal and close to home. And you're dead right. Some of the other fruits, you know, there's no point in bringing them from the far side of the world and and, and consuming them. As then we grow into our teen years and into adulthood, really like a, a good diet looking after yourself should be sufficient to keep you in top nick. 
Absolutely. But um, I suppose the three mainstays of keeping all of us, like yeah. you and I are well, so how are we going to keep ourselves well throughout winter? It's physical activity, it's diet and it's sleep. And each one of those have a huge influence on our physical health and our mental health. And if either one of those begins to slump, then our immune system will slump as well. So whether your mental health is slumping, your physical health is slumping, you're going to pick up something. You're going to be more likely to pick up one of these viruses and going to be less strong to fight it. So it's really trying to give yourself and those around you the best chance. So taking that the middle rump of the population are fine, we move on because as we age and the years clock up, uh, of course, we have to mind ourselves even more and be cognizant that this is actually happening. Now, you wanted to talk about SAD, Seasonal Affective Disorder. Mm-hmm. Why? This does happen very, it, it, I think it's underdiagnosed and under talked about it. It was a little bit buzzword a few years ago, but it is a very real thing for people from the months of maybe October, November, particularly into February, March. When you think about it, Jerry, an awful lot of people, especially if they commute long hours, get into the car in the darkness, they maybe go into a workplace, sit in an environment where there's that artificial central heating, get back into a car, drive home in darkness. And without getting out and about and getting natural daylight and natural air, your body's not synthesising things like vitamin D, other minerals, other nutrients. And really this, without the effect of the natural daylight, seasonal affective disorder, sad illness can occur. And really that persistent low mood that can happen between November and March. It's not always recognised. People just, you know, sometimes the natural inclination will be to hibernate. Yeah. It's just much easier to sit on the couch, maybe have a glass of wine and watch Netflix. But that's not the best for your your actual health. So I'd encourage everyone to get outside for at least 15 minutes of every day if they can, regardless of their age, regardless of their ability. It's outside into the natural daylight, the natural air. It'll do their mental health and their physical health an awful lot of good. As we advance in life, we need to mind ourselves, of course. Now, some people mind themselves too much and others, you know, are out uh, swimming lakes and sea and climbing mountains, etc., But seriously, back to that daylight thing again, is that as important as we advance in years? Absolutely. And even when you say about swimming the sea and climbing the mountains, studies have shown that those that exercise and even exercise vigorously in winter months do boost their immune system. They're less likely to pick up colds, flus, a lot of the viruses that we talked about. And I know in Dunlair in the northeast, we see an awful lot of runners out this time of year. And that actually seems to hold true. But definitely, even older people, you might, everyone might have elderly neighbours or relatives around them, and even getting them out onto the front step, right into the back garden on a bright, crisp day like today, it will do them the world of good just to get out that daylight, that freshness. Um, we talked before, Jerry, about vitamin D. And as I said, sunshine vitamin is vitamin D, and we need UVB rays that come through. We're in the northern half of the globe. We don't get a lot of sunshine at the best of times. So the majority, or an awful lot of Irish people are vitamin D deficient. So it's one supplement that I do say most people should be taking. I don't take it without checking. Is it okay with your medicines? But most people should look into either enriching vitamin D in their diet through eggs, through oily fish. People say, yeah, I eat loads of fish. Yeah, I have tuna. Is it tin tuna or is it fresh tuna? Is it fresh salmon? Is it fresh mackerel? You know, really going as fresh as possible. Um, and also red meat once or twice a week. Not everyone hits those vitamin Ds. And vitamin Ds only trace elements in all of that. So supplementation of vitamin Ds, absolutely no problem. I started it a month ago myself, the vitamin D, after uh, talking to you. And yeah. I, I have been taking it just yeah. just one a day. That's an important point to make. Medication, and as we age, mm-hmm. uh, you're generally on more medication. Mm-hmm. If you're not good luck to you and well done. Uh, but... 
making sure that what you take as regards supplements, and I think of natural remedies as well, should you be careful with those if you're on medication? Incredibly, incredibly. There's an awful lot of medicines, whether they are blood pressure medicines, diabetes medicines, warfarins and blood thinners, an awful lot that people tend to be prescribed as they age, maybe into the 50s, even statins, an awful lot of people in 40s and 50s might be on for cholesterol that interact with over-the-counter medicines, particularly um, multivitamins or some natural remedies. So we would always say everything needs to be checked before you. If you're taking any prescribed medicine, just check that it's okay whether you buy it in a pharmacy, in a supermarket, in a health food store. Just pick up the, co- the phone, ask the pharmacist or when you're in, just say, is this safe with my medicines? For example, one of the really popular multivitamins, which is really, really good for energy, is Pharmaton. Nearly everybody knows Pharmaton. Mm. There's ginseng in Pharmaton, which is really the, the main energy booster, but that would interact with anyone on a, a blood pressure medicine. So straight away, we would have a risk of blood pressure shooting up, being uncontrolled, and then at a risk of a cardiac event. So that's one example that's really, really important that you need to check. Is this safe with my prescribed medicine? An awful lot of other medicines or supplements um, have vitamins in them, such as A, D, E and K. And they're what we call our fat-soluble vitamins. They're stored in the body. Your water-soluble vitamins like our our vitamin C um, or zinc, some of the trace elements, are flushed out within 24 hours. But anything that's stored in the body, if you take, say, a vitamin D supplement, as you've started a month ago, and then you might think, oh, my, my joints are a bit creaky. I think I'll take some seven seeds cod liver oil. You've just doubled up on your vitamin D and you've put your liver in at risk. So it's just always important to really check what you're on. And if, you're, if that person's taking a statin for their cholesterol as well, then their liver is really under pressure. So it's really important that we check everything. everything. And that's what our job is. Yeah, and, and, and your pharmacist will help you there. Just a couple of things before we finish. Conjunctivitis. We are hearing that there is an outbreak among small children in an area in the northeast. Yeah, that does happen often in creches and, and schools, more so creches when kids, again, they come back together September, October. Um, and that's a really tricky one. If it's just one child, it tends to bounce from one eye to the next eye to the other eye, you know, back and forth if it's not dealt with really quickly. Um, it does tend to be self-limiting. So we boil cool water, put a little bit of salt in, keep the eyes clean and get an antibacterial cream. And there's some available from the pharmacy that are available without prescription. But if it's persistent and it's lasted for more than 24, 48 hours, the patient's mum would be referred to the GP and then antibacterial will be given on prescription. Um, Sometimes if it's really persistent and troublesome because it can be hard to get rid of if it passes to one child Mm. and it comes back, there may need to be a bit of an exclusion. It's not a condition that there is exclusion criteria for, which is what we mean by keep your child out for so many days. But if it's persistent or troublesome within a, a year group or a play group or something, then maybe something like exclusion, treat, get everybody treated and that's how it can be cleared. That is one that hand hygiene is vital. Kids, as you know, especially the younger ones, they rub their noses, rub their eyes, then rub the nose, then rub the other eye. And this is how these things spread. <laughs> it's inevitable. It's in their nature. Finally, before we um, uh, wrap up today, Cathy, um, I have a really bad cough or I feel I have a bad cold. I need an antibiotic. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. The first thing you do is pop to the pharmacist and say, describe your symptoms and we will go through who is it for, what are your symptoms, how long have you had them, what have you done already and what medication have you taken or are taking. 
And that's what we call as 2AM. That's what we do with everybody. And that gives us the chance to assess exactly what you need. Do you need to go to your GP? If it sounds like it's a viral condition, then we'll treat you. It's symptomatic. Most of these viruses, whether coughs, colds, earaches or throats, most of them are virus in nature. And antibiotics will only work against bacteria. Antibiotics will only kill bacteria that is in the system. Antibiotics do not work against viruses. And if we take them needlessly, this is why we have a huge medical crisis globally in that antibiotics are not working as potently as they should. We've no new antibiotics, so we're actually ruining all of the ones that we have because of antibiotic resistance. So GPs are brilliant actually holding off, not prescribing antibiotics, but if you go in looking for an antibiotic and it's not needed, that's an appointment wasted as well in your own time and also the GP time. So go to the pharmacy, see what we can do in terms of your symptom management. Most of these are symptom management and self-limiting, so they will take their time, they can be debilitating, they can be miserable, but they will go. The pharmacists will also gauge and use their clinical expertise. Is this something that does need an antibiotic? And there are alarm bells and warning signs that we are geared to that we'll know when somebody needs to go. So don't go to the GP, don't go to the out of hours and don't go to hospital or any unless you've checked it because what can happen is you can actually spread that bacteria or that virus yeah, around. That's very, very important advice. And do get the flu jab. I got mine over a week ago and do make sure your vaccinations are all up to date and we wish you well in the months ahead, this winter 2019 into the spring of 2020. Cathy Marr from Haven Pharmacy in the Lake, as usual, thank you so much for joining me on the show. Thank you, Jerry. There's a focus on fostering all this week in Ireland and I'm joined on the line by Shauna Cusack. Afternoon, Shauna. Hi. <laughs> Thanks for taking my call today. Shauna, can you tell us, what age were you when you were fostered first? Um, I was about 15 when I first went into care. And your family circumstances, was it dictated that you would be fostered? Yeah. Um. I suffered quite bad with my mental health yes. when I was around that age. And then the worse it got, the more likely I was to go into care. I was being like monitored for quite a while. And who fostered you initially? Um, Sharon Kyogen. She's oh. the only foster care I've ever been with. All oh, right, our own Sharon Kyogen here in Dalik. Yes, and she's the only one you've ever spent time with as a foster parent. Yeah, we clicked straight away, so. And uh, what age are you now? I am 19 and I'll be 20 in April. And how much time have you spent with Sharon? Have you been with her constantly since you were 15 or has it uh, been for a time and then back to your family or what? Um, No, so when I went into care, I stayed until I was 18. And then when I was 18, I moved out to go to college in Dublin. So I was with her the whole time. And for you to click with someone like Sharon immediately obviously was a dream come true for you. Yeah, definitely. And life has been good uh, as someone who's been fostered. It's made a big difference to your life, has it? Definitely. I mean, when I was at home, I wasn't even going to school. My, My mental health was so bad that I was basically making myself sick, like a lot of time in hospital, things like that. And I didn't even do my junior search, so I was really at, like, a low point before I went into care. And it was just a stability. I was able to go to school. I was able to talk to Sharon. You know, I have, I might have a pain in my stomach or my head, but there's nothing wrong with me. Like, it was all to do with whatever's going on in my head, which, for me, my parents didn't really understand that much, which made it 
more frustrating for me. So, so Sharon was uh, your confidant, the one that you spoke to, and besides caring for you as a foster parent, that aspect of it was so important as well. Yeah, she was definitely able to calm me down where myself or my parents weren't able to before. And I was just really frustrated all my whole teenage years because I felt like there was something seriously wrong with me that nobody would ever be able to handle me. You know, a lot of the reason I went to the care, it wasn't anybody's fault. It was just sometimes families can't can't cope yeah. with, with mental health issues. So it was good to have Sharon because... It was like an outside point of view coming in and she's like family to me now. So it's just the extra support that I got. Wonderful, wonderful story you have. So what are you doing with yourself now? What, what are you studying, working at? Well, I'm in my second year of my... I'm doing law in college, and which is great because um, before, before I went to Sharon's, I wasn't really even going to school. I had no interest. But then Sharon's two children studied law and I kind of seen what they were doing and I kind of figured out that that's what I wanted to do. So I just put my head down and Sharon really motivated me. Every morning going to school was like a therapy session, you know, telling me that I could do this, like that I was I was worth so much more than I thought I was. So you are studying law now, second year done. And, yeah. and, and and you hadn't this belief beforehand, but you've a real belief now that your life is going in the direction where you want to go and you're very happy within yourself? Yeah, and definitely, if it, if it wasn't for going into care, I don't think I would be in the position I am now. I got a lot of support from social workers, aftercare workers, and still with my aftercare team now. And anytime I have a problem, I know that there's people I can call where before... I felt like I was all on my own and that there was no point in even trying. Mm. So So. going into care, having access to the professionals, being fostered has all been really, really important factors in your life and life is really good now for you. Definitely, yeah. Definitely. I'm I'm an adult now, so I was able to learn from everything that's happened to me. It's made me... stronger person today and a lot more resilient Mm. and of course you're eternally grateful you said it already to Sharon Kilgan for what she's done for you she's a wonderful woman and you're not the only one we know that she's helped in our in our lifetime Uh, too many to recount and not alone at the moment but if you stayed here for for uh, minutes uh, hours you you wouldn't get through them all Um, can I ask you this um, in this week where there is a focus on it what would you say as someone who has been fostered that has had a positive experience of it to somebody who may be heading into a foster care situation? I think definitely just work with work with your social workers. They're trying to help you. A lot of times um, people fight back the social workers. You know, like they're just work with them. They're trying to keep you in school. They're trying to keep you on a good path. You know, it's up to you at the end of the day. Um, the same with your foster parents. Um, give give them a chance. It's not going to be home straight away, like, obviously. But things will get better if you just work hard, you know. 
Now, now that's an important message to get across and to tell people and uh, uh, we just wanted to bring a wee focus on it today with yourself and your really great story, an uplifting story as well and uh, to say to you Sean, best of luck to you with your continuing studies and uh, congratulations to Sharon Kyogen as well for being a big part of your life. Okay, thank you so much. Thanks for taking our call. I appreciate it. Bye-bye, bye-bye. That's Sean Cusack there. Um, just decided we'd have a little chat about Valentine. There you are. We said we didn't. I didn't realise it was Sharon myself. That was our, our, our. And we spoke. Do you remember Louise? Sharon was in here. Was it last year for fostering or the year before? Yeah, she was amazing. With lady, a young wasn't man. She? Do you remember the young man she brought to us to talk to on that day? She's full of surprises. Amazing. Sharon, isn't oh, she? she's uh, a box of tricks. She's is right. For, she's all go and a, a woman that gets things done. I have to say, and uh, her actions speak all about uh, the woman that she is. But well done to Sean. I come from difficult situations situation there isn't it wonderful isn't it wonderful it just it's lovely to hear that yeah, isn't it because it's very rarely that you do hear yeah. the people that do come through the foster yes, care yes absolutely and well done to all foster parents they're always looking for foster mm, parents we know they that really anyway badly need them. they badly need it and look at the impact and the change you can make in a young person's life it's a wonderful wonderful uh Situation to find yourself in, to be a foster parent and, and affect such a difference uh, with people. And uh, we w- again wish Shauna all the very best and thank her for joining us today. I think she was on the Lewis there, was she or somebody? It sounded like she was on something all <laughs> I right. Think, yeah, I a think lot it of was the, in the I, background. I could hear our mates in the background then. You know the ding ding that you yeah. hear? I'm nearly yeah. sure she was on the Lewis. She's actually just coming from college today and we're delighted to even grab a word with her at all because uh, she's under a bit of pressure just coming out from lectures and then heading off, I'm sure, to do her studies, her homework this I- evening. They'll have homework in college, head down. Beans and toast. Primary school, you won't have any more homework if you're listening to us (laughs) earlier today. I don't want to set alarm bells ringing out, Joy. A lot of children in the cars now. No more homework, young people, for primary school children. There goes the bags out the window. (laughs) (laughs) General amnesty has been declared on late lunch this afternoon. Yes, we were talking about... Get yourself into trouble now, Jerry. (laughs) Wouldn't be the first time. Uh, (laughs) Valerie Flynn from the Irish Times was talking to us a little bit earlier on the show. Anyway, we'll wrap it up there today on late lunch lunch and leave you in the company of the wonderful Genesis and Phil Collins. We're going back to 1986, would you believe it? They're only number one on the Billboard Billboard Hot 100 in the United States of America. It's Invisible Touch. Enjoy. See you tomorrow, 1.30. with Blackstone Motors annual sales event now on. One-off price reductions and special APR finance available during this event. Call in today and save thousands at Blackstone Motors, Drada and Dundalk. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. 
You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.